Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, this episode is brought to you by my very own NLP practitioner course. I've been teaching neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP, for nearly 15 years. It is the most powerful tool for communication on the planet, and it can be yours today. For a very limited time, I'm giving away my entire NLP course workbook for free. Go to nlpwithmatt.com. All the patterns, all the tools, and the techniques of NLP in the complete course workbook, the same one that we use to teach our live certification classes, yours free. NLPwithmatt.com. Get it today. Let's get back to the show. Hey, 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 welcome back to The Driven Entrepreneur. It's Matt Browning. And today uh, we are jumping right into, I don't want to waste any time except for saying hello. Hello, I hope you're doing well. But I have a really, really special guest today. We're going to talk uh, all things legal. Now, before you think legal, what are we talking about? This is a super interesting entrepreneurial journey I want to share with you from uh, someone we call the millionaire's lawyer, JP McAvoy. Now, he's not just the millionaire's lawyer because he has uh, been a lawyer for hundreds of millionaires and been responsible for literally billions, I think eight and a half billion dollars in transactions at this point. Um, and he's the managing partner uh, of Conduct Law Business Law Firm, consults with CPLS, PA as a corporate lawyer. Uh, he helps and, and acts for clients buying and selling businesses. But one of uh, his most interesting uh, clients was probably someone you may have heard of named Elon Musk. Uh, we're going to talk all about the times when he used to live with Elon. They went to college together and how he helped start the very first company, uh, be, even before PayPal, Tesla, or SpaceX. JP McAvoy. What's going on, my friend? Good to see you. It's been a year since I saw you in person. Great to see you, Matt. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, it's been a year. Can you believe it? We've been trying to get this organized for, well, it's just about a year now. So happy to be here. Happy to share some of my stories with you and your audience. We're finally doing it. So um, I, I just want to jump right in first uh, to a little bit into your childhood before we get to the college years. When you were growing up, uh, your psychology, your mindset, are you... Did you ever have like a dream to be a lawyer? Did you have a, did you want to be a cowboy when you grew up? What was your dream as a kid? And then how did law come into that? And at what age? What a great question, isn't it? Yeah, I'm one of those lucky people, Matt. I actually wanted to be a lawyer. I recall, you know, being a young kid and saying, uh, someday's gonna be a lawyer. I thought I'd be a courtroom lawyer. Uh, and I started acting upon that from a very early age. Most specifically, as I recall, grade six. I remember, uh, I remember for a shadows day, or you remember those careers day at school where they'd say, go shadow somebody that you thought perhaps you could be someday. I remember breaking my father's heart because uh, he was a banker by training and uh, thought I'd go follow him around at the Bank of Canada. I told him that I actually wanted to be a lawyer and uh, I suggested I was gonna go shadow one of the local lawyers. I went down and knocked on that lawyer's door, introduced myself. I told uh, that lawyer at the time that uh, I was planning to become one myself and he allowed me to shadow him. And uh, it's sort of all history from there. In fact, he's still a friend. He's now retired, but he's still a friend and mentor of mine. So and this I'm is one of those lucky six ones. you're talking about. Grade did something, six, yeah. Did something happen or were you just sitting in class going, you know, 
like eeny, meeny, miny, mo. here's my career. Did you watch something? Did you watch Night Court as a kid? I always loved that show. What was it? It's sixth grade. What age? What? 11, 12. That yeah. I never considered that in my life. I, I like the idea. Looking back, I could have seen myself maybe doing that. What was it about it that drew you to it? So it was uh, being on my feet performing uh, before a lawyer, certainly in grade six. I remember the other two, uh, when I uh, complete the three things I ever remember wanting to be, one was a magician, the other was a priest, and then a lawyer. And all of them I saw as being performers are people on their feet, people, uh, people speaking. Sounds like the start of a joke, though. Was that, did you it's ever start a joke? Like a joke? Yes, exactly. It's a, a magician, a, a lawyer, and a priest walking yeah, to a bar. Yeah, 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 yeah. And absolutely, that's what it was for me, someone that was... Uh, that was performing. Uh, and uh, of the three, uh, it evolved to be a lawyer. And uh, they say, from the time I shadowed that lawyer, I saw in part that there was an element of, uh, of that performance piece. Uh, in fact, I continued all the way, even through law school, expecting to be a courtroom lawyer. Uh, and I think we'll talk about Elon and some of the other things I saw sort of through university and on, because what ended up happening is I realized, you know, the vision of, as a lawyer of being on your feet, it happens, sure. Uh, but you're actually in court very for the types of law I was doing very irregularly, uh, very, not free, very frequently you're on, in court, but doing business deals. That's where it really took off for me because there's an element of performance in putting a deal together. And that's where I really excelled. Gotcha. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I want to just kind of pivot on that for a second. When we're, when you get into business, I remember I used to be in the mortgage business uh, long ago and I ran my own company when I was in my early 20s. Some of the audience already knows that. And then I went into the speaking world, the coaching world after seeing Tony Robbins. Well, the reason I left was because I was a little disenfranchised with what I was doing in the mortgage business, thinking that, you know, this should be more fun or I should have more personal interaction. And when I moved industries, what I found is 95% of my day was actually identical. Like you're still doing HR, you're still doing payroll, you're still doing office leases accounting, city business license. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the bulk of my day-to-day -day business work was identical, even though the content was different. When you got into, so that was my long-winded um, example. When you got into lawyering for real and you found yourself not in the courtroom like you thought, did you have any moments of doubt? Did you have a second ch uh, choice of what you thought you might get into? Or did you just go, okay, the business deal came around right then. Did you have any moments of doubt of like, maybe I should do something different? It's not what I thought it was. Uh, yes. Uh, I don't know about, about different, but different area of law for sure. Uh, I article, so uh, did my legal training in Canada uh, and in Canada upon completion of law school, you're required to act as an apprentice for a year, article student. I did that at a corporate commercial litigation boutique in Toronto. And uh, uh, you know, going into it, I again, still had the dream of being a courtroom lawyer. Uh, and I remember spending uh, many sleepless nights. In fact, I did a few all-nighters in preparation for court. Uh, and remember walking literally on the court, on, and there's a, the, the cliche of on the, on the steps of the, of the court, uh, courtroom uh, with my brief in hand and the deal settling and going back to the office and throwing all the work I'd prepared, the, 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 the all-nighter I just completed, throwing it into the garbage and thinking to myself, maybe this isn't for me. Uh, because as I say, I didn't want to see the, the results of my work being thrown in the garbage. It was at the exact same time where a couple of buddies, specifically Elon and Kimmel Musk, their business was taking off. And they, they began reaching out to me and saying, hey, look, we got something really good going on here. You got to come test the waters here. So again, in a legal capacity, but I realized, you know, perhaps a courtroom lawyer is not for me. It's more of a business lawyer. I uh, was able to join them for the launch of that first business and help grow that first business. And sort of the rest is history from there. And that's fascinating. So there really wasn't much of a gap when you realized I'm not going to be in trial all the time. So that dream, 
don't know, for lack of a better term, dies, but then a new dream is birthed pretty quickly about doing uh, business deals. And I'm assuming that when you get into, you know, mergers, acquisitions, putting together contracts, there's still that, I don't know, like I would imagine, and I've done my own business deals, not as a lawyer, just as an entrepreneur. There's that little, like the butterflies, there's the dopamine hit. It's for me, like emotionally, I really like that, you know, sitting down to lunch, I remember buying a, a piece of multi-million dollar real estate in my mid twenties, literally off of a cocktail napkin at El Torito. And it's like that moment of like sitting with someone and going, okay, you know what, let's hammer out some details. And you walk to your car going, holy moly, like we just did something. Were you like, does that speak to kind of what it was like early stages or was it totally different for you? Can you talk a little bit about the, the emotion, the mindset of like uh, getting started with business lawyering and or getting started with, you know, Elon and Kimball. And I know you were starting Zip2, one of the, the first companies uh, early, early on. What was the mindset and the emotion like when you're getting into that? Oh, great question, Matt. And I need to distinguish as well. It's so interesting because I still see it. I still feel it. Uh, to be quite frank, the lawyering is not always the sexiest and most fun. The lawyering aspect of a business deal, right? And so that's, you know, I, it's not the I say sexiest. That in, oh, gosh. The number one voted sexiest yeah, career really. in USA Today, wasn't it? I'm yeah, like, yeah, because what not. happens, no, no, I mean, we, can, we can mock it, but the reality is it, is it is exciting to be doing the deal, right? It's exciting to be cutting the deal, uh, to be uh, negotiating the terms. The lawyering involves papering it after the fact, and that can be still fairly tedious. Uh, for me, the difference is I wasn't throwing the results of all my work in the garbage at the end of the day, right? Or I wasn't settling on the courtroom steps. It was actually being put into place, and I was actually building value uh, for myself and for those around me, for the company and the shareholders of the company. So it was could still be quite tedious, and I still very much enjoy the the energy of a deal. Uh, and I feel, find it it's 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 grunt work to actually paper it sometimes. But the reality is, you're putting a deal together and you're building something that is of value, and that's the thing that really attracted me to it. Uh, that's that's awesome. So let's talk about a little bit of the the early phase. Then you get into you know business building, and as you said, papering uh, the deal, which is fun. it's a great distinction because um, I'm a big starter, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs that are drawn to that you know that startup kind of world. It's like I want to start things, but I have trouble finishing things. Your personality, are you? Do you feel like you're kind of wired differently? Because I know you, it's, it's funny, right? Talking to a guy like you, I know you have that entrepreneur spirit, no question, right? You've built your brand and, and what you're doing here and you've launched your podcast, The Millionaire's Lawyer, which is a phenomenal listen, by the way, go check out The Millionaire's Lawyer podcast on Apple and Spotify and everything. Um, but on the flip side, there's gotta be a personality trait that's a little more, I don't know what you would call it, whether it's logical, linear, analog, um, a little more engineer, a little more project manager, uh, to be able to get these things done and cross the T's and dot the I's. And I know, you know, mistakes, I'm sure are not tolerated in your business. Um, could you speak to your personal wiring and personality to it, it from the content side of being a lawyer versus the entrepreneur side of, of running the business of law? Do you find, is that a balancing wire? Is it really easy? Is there a challenge that you ever have? What's that like for that you? That is such a great uh, question, Matt. And I'm not sure if you quite appreciate well, how great it is. Yeah, because that's, that's what my skill is. And that's why I've been able to work with so many entrepreneurs, real successful entrepreneurs, bring their dream or their, their uh, corporate endeavors to fruition. Because a lot of uh, entrepreneurs are, as you described, they're dreamers, they're people that with visionaries, uh, they're people that don't know how to actually put it together and, and put it into practice many times. For myself, I have an element of that. As you say, it's reflected in the podcast and some of my entrepreneurial endeavors myself. But just as importantly, my lawyering skills 
allow me to bring my own business pursuits together, but also those for my clients. Uh, someone like Elon is one of the greatest visionaries of all time. I think um, most people admit that. His skill set is not actually to put things into place in an orderly fashion. In fact, he, he gets in trouble for not doing so. So he needs to surround himself with people like myself who know how to do that for him and for the company for the greater good. So that's one of my real skills. I know how to bridge that gap because uh, I know what it takes as an entrepreneur, but I also know what it takes as a lawyer. And a lot of lawyers don't have the entrepreneurial side of things. They don't know, understand the business of law or how to put things together in the way that I do. They might be better technically at putting some of the technical aspects of a deal together, but understanding how to work with an entrepreneur and setting the entrepreneur in the wrong direction is something you need to avoid doing as well. You need to keep guiding them in the right direction, making sure that the, the visionary is able to uh, keep thinking about the vision and bringing the, the vision to be reality, all the while protecting it through through its, uh, through its development. So protecting it from an IP standpoint, protecting it from a deal structure standpoint, and then eventually on a sale, right? Protecting things on a sale as well. So everything's preserved and there's maximum value achieved. Really, uh, it's a really interesting point that I, I, wanna, I don't wanna go off of until we, we make sure that we really hit it. When I go to a banker, when I go to a lawyer, when I go to a mortgage person, there's always two personalities that I might find. One personality is the first one, which is all administrative focused. I say, hey, I want to buy a house. And they say, well, give me your info. I'll see if it qualifies. And it's like they're looking through the lens of admin. And then they come back and go, oh, yeah, that doesn't work. But there's also the entrepreneur style, say, mortgage person. And that's, I think, what, what I did back in the day, where I'd say, what are you trying to accomplish? What's the vision? And then I can go in and say, well, there's different scenarios. And if you're really wanting this, you're going to need to save up a little bit more money here, or you need to add someone on title there. I'm going to give them some strategy um, to fulfill the vision. What it sounds like to me, um, and also, of course, in, in an ethical way, I, no doubt, but you, I love that you protect the vision, right? That's really important because I, I don't think a lot of people in law or, again, some of those supplemental um, uh, businesses that help businesses along, I don't think a lot of people take on that attitude. And being able to protect the vision, being able to help us achieve our outcomes, but then following along, protecting the strategy along the way, uh, kudos to you. When you guys were starting, uh, when they were starting Zip2, I know that was like the first company. Um, I know you have some, mm -hmm. some really interesting stories. Um, I want to hear about, you know, how, how did you and Elon first meet? Was it in college before? And then at what point did you become roommates? Tell me a little bit of that backstory. Sure, for sure. Uh, so uh, met him at university, uh, really good friends with his brother to this day, uh, to, uh, really good friends with his brother, see him regularly. Uh, and so being good friends with him, Elon, we were all at uh, Queens University in Kingston, Canada. So going to school, they come over from South, South Africa to go to school in, in Canada, myself being Canadian, went to school there. So we met there, became fast friends there. Elon left uh, in second year, if I recall, and went to uh, the University of Pennsylvania. He went to the Wharton School of Business there. Uh, so I was able to transfer, wanted to complete a business degree there. Uh, Elon, or Kimball and I carried on at Queens, uh, Elon just a year ahead of us. Uh, and upon graduation, uh, I got into law school. Kimball and Elon started talking about starting this company. Uh, they tried to start in Toronto originally. Uh, and this was uh, earlier internet, uh, sort of mid to late 90s as it was being put together. So there wasn't a ton of money with the exception of Silicon Valley to, for, for young startups. Um, but just so to, I got, to tell I, our earlier entrepreneur listeners, this is before Kickstarter, before GoFundMe, before, you know, crowdfunding of any kind. 
And it wasn't like there was no Shark Tank. You know what I mean? Like this isn't the the world of, hey, there's JV deals all the time. It was very, very small circles, wasn't it? Like Silicon Valley, venture capital money was a lot more private. It wasn't glamorized then. It really mattered. It was really small. Uh, there were really very few places to go to, with the exception of a few places on Sand Hill Road in uh, in Silicon Valley, right? In the in the Bay Area. Uh, Elon and Kimball tried to start in Toronto, which is also to this day, there's I mean, plenty of opportunity in Toronto now, but uh, like most places, there wasn't much at the time. They set off for California with California dreams and uh, the hope of, uh, of tapping into some of the limited resources there. And that's what they were able to do. You know, as I say, I got into law school and they were sending notes about how they received you know, 3 million bucks and then 6 million bucks and then 24 million bucks. And they said, you got to get your butt down here. And you know, as I say, those dollars started talking and I decided to join them at that time. That's when I, that's what I live with Elon or upon my arrival in California. Uh, they were, they each had their own place. I joined uh, Elon in the place he was living. And we called it actually Futon City because it was filled with futons for those that were coming down and joining the company at the time. So uh, that's where uh, we had the opportunity to live together. I say live together because uh, Elon would live or sleep under his desk just as often as he'd come back to Futon City. But uh, that's how we began living together. <laughs> that's awesome. Can you paint a picture for me? What, because, um, you know, I, I love the the startup vibe that, you know, it, it's hard to wrap your mind around it, whether you're talking, um, you know, the startup of Atari and what the culture is like back in the 70s or Tom's shoes when, you know, you you have a one bedroom apartment with a wall stacked full of different shoe boxes. Describe Futon City a little bit for me here. What, how many people were living there at first? How many did it get, did it get up to at any given time when the company really begins growing? Because this is that sort of live work come hang out, help us grow. It, you could be part of something big, vibe, culture. What's, what's a day in the life like at Futon City? So to answer your question directly, it was really just three of us that lived there for the most full, full time. Uh, and then at one point, Elon's first wife uh, uh, joined us for a short stint as well. Uh, and uh, there was, as I say, in addition to the three futons and three bedrooms that we had, two additional ones. So at, uh, at its most, you probably find seven or eight people crashing there. Uh, some of those as they arrived and then sort of spun out into their own place. So at most seven or eight people, we call it Futon City in part just and in part because there was, you know, a bunch of futons that people could, were free to crash on as they uh, came down and began to, to live the California dream along with us. You, you, you've you been part of uh, quite a few startups then. I mean, again, um, you know, Zip2 being uh, either bought out or merging with City Search. And then uh, you talked about also one of the, the probably the biggest feathers in the cap was uh, helping to grow PayPal when Elon starts x.com, um, which eventually does become the behemoth of PayPal. And being in the in the early phases, for I guess first what I'm curious about is ideas or strategies, or maybe just some some tips, some some concepts that we'd love to know. If you're anyone listening that's in the starting phases of a business that could become something, right? You think, hey, this could grow. Maybe I want to move towards acquisition or selling or exiting in some way. What are some concepts that were really important? Maybe you witnessed from other parts of the business, or maybe that you even brought to the table from a legal perspective in that startup phase for some of these that allowed them to grow and eventually, you know, grow to become what they were. Oh, great question, Matt. And uh, immediately comes comes to mind two things. One we've touched on previously, actually both themes we've touched on previously, but let me elaborate. First is you need to have that vision, that 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 thing you're trying to do, that thing, that problem you're trying to solve, whatever it is you're trying to create. And that visionary or the founder of that idea needs to be thinking ahead, needs to be thinking about what things look like in five years. 
right? And, and how the world has changed as a consequence of the thing they're developing. So there's a visionary, there's an energy that needs to come from that. Most important thing. The second most important thing is something else we've already touched on is you need to have people that have the skills to execute that vision. I, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs of this day, right? A lot of dreamers, a lot of people that have ideas and they, sometimes they may even be great ideas. I get a lot of uh, calls from inventors and, and academics, university profs, for example, that are looking to build a better mousetrap. And I frequently look at them and I think to myself, well, it's great and you're obviously a very bright person, but you have no idea how to bring a business or an idea to fruition, right? To make it exist. And so that's the second thing you need to have. In addition to the visionary, you need to have the pieces or the elements together for people that know how to actually build a, a company. It's not a question of having the best mousetrap. It's a question of having something that's going to make a change for the future and then being able to build it out in, in a fashion that actually will be able to commercialize it so the thing will exist beyond you know, a year or two. Man, what a great answer. Seriously. I mean, hey, you said great question. I appreciate it. This is my profession as it is yours. Um, but what a great answer. So the visionary and then actually having the business structure in place, not it's not the content. Content, would you agree content is important in a business? Like it has to be a good mousetrap, but you might not have to have the best mousetrap. You need to be able to create the structure, get people rallied around it. Um, what good is a great mousetrap to keep with the metaphor if you get sued, you know, two, uh, two years in with six employees and all of a sudden you're cash poor and you're out. The content doesn't matter if the structure isn't there. From a legal perspective, let me just kind of continue on this on this train of thought. If I'm in a startup phase, what, how, number one, how early do I want to get legal counsel involved? And I, I, I'm guessing you might say before day one, and that's completely fair. Um, but at what stage do I say, hey, I don't have a lot of money yet. I'm trying to start this thing up. When do I need to get a guy like a JP McAvoy or, you know, my version um, that I could afford um, into a startup? And what types of things do I need to look for first? You know, there's entity structures there. You know, do I need to look at trademarking? And I know it's a very wide question. You could take it anywhere, but maybe what are the top few things that we definitely need to be aware of? And maybe some things that we wouldn't necessarily know to look for um, that we should be looking for. Yes, because I can answer uh, very quickly. Most people wait too long, right? So you ask when to consult legal, consult early. Early as early as possible in the process. I, I regularly see people that have waited too long out of fear, out of uh, a thought perhaps that they're going to be, you know, they're going to be spending too much on legal. The, the fact of the matter is, if you've got something and there's a, a value to be to be had, uh, the, the sooner you speak to somebody to make sure that it's actually protected, the better off you are. Because I've seen people ruin it as well, right, or blow it up, or or do things that really jeopardize uh, the, the 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 potential or the potential for value there. So short answer you can't consult too early. Uh, and a good lawyer, a lawyer such as myself, I may, I say frequently to people, you know, you're not ready for me. It's good that you've reached out, do this and this and this, uh, even work with someone else until you get to this point and then reach out to me, but don't wait. Uh, so many entrepreneurs are fear, fearful and they, they think they can't afford to talk to a lawyer. I'd suggest they can't afford not to talk to a lawyer. What, man, that's awesome. So reach out to legal counsel in your business early and often. And I especially love that. It's like, I think, I think sometimes maybe any, I'm just speaking for myself as I look through the years, maybe I felt scared, right. To your point of like, Oh gosh, do I need a lawyer yet? Do I need to do that yet? Cause I know it'll probably be quote unquote expensive yet. I have no idea what expensive actually is. Cause I haven't even asked and I don't know if I really need it or not. So your advice is 
reach out early because if you do need it, you certainly want to know, you know, ahead of time. And if you don't need it, you know, if you have someone that's a good guy like you, then you're at least going to tell us kind of where to go and when we should check, Hey, do these things. And then, you know, say in phase two, then we want to definitely sit down and create something together. Um, Love that. Any other advice you have just, I'll, I'll leave it wide open. I know I've been asking questions that are more specific, but any just general advice you have for the startup, for the visionary, for the innovator, um, the Elon type, since you've worked with uh, him, his brother, and, and so many entrepreneurs like that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would say to people, and you cite Elon, uh, people used to a lot of times refer to like Steve Jobs, right? The Steve Jobs way. I think Elon has done even more to define a space or a way of thinking. So I would say to people, Think like Elon. And what that means, uh, for those that aren't familiar, Elon is famous for being able to look at something from all sides at all times. Uh, and in that way, he's, he's been able to leapfrog people or define things uh, at spaces, uh, and literally space, uh, in ways that people haven't done before. So I challenge people, like if you're serious about this and you, and you think that you could create the type of value that you're proposing here, then make sure you've done your homework and work hard, examine from all, uh, from all uh, possible angles. Think about it from not just now, but two, three, five years in the future. And then if you're still determined that it is to be, then let's talk and then let's put it into place. Great advice. Awesome advice. Should I buy cryptocurrency? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. This is not, a, I know it's not an investment show, but uh, why wouldn't you buy, why would you not? not also have a stake in, in, a, in something that's just beyond a fiat system. Yes. Uh, Chris, crypto is going to be something that we're going to be using in the future. Very, very good. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, if you start seeing, you know, Apple and you see Tesla playing around with it, I guess, I, you know, it, it's not an investment, but dang it. It's, I think it's a, a valid question. Um, I think sometimes, you know, it's like the thing I would always say is by the time you're, and no, no offense to these professions, but as soon as you, your hairdresser and your taxi driver start telling you that you should get into something, that's about the time to get out of something because it's, it's already permeated through society. Uh, so by the time, you know, these industry giants are investing billions into crypto and it's all over and it's in clubhouse on every other room and, you know, the hairdresser and your Uber driver are talking about it. Like, is that too late or is it the right thing to do or, to me, it seems like so volatile, like it's a stock investment that I don't know enough about. So I'm staying out, but that doesn't mean it's a terrible thing to do. Um, it's a great idea maybe to have some gold at the house. You know, what, I guess, what's your take on, I was just using crypto as an example or a kind of silly metaphor because I don't want to have that be our, our topic. My, my question for you is what's your take on trends and watching as many business owners as you have. See, most people I interview are one business owner or they own two businesses. You have helped hundreds and hundreds of businesses. What's your perspective on catching hold of trends and early adopting late? Is there any kind of a principle to, to you know, we want to be an early adopter. Is there any principle you've noticed of like how to do that more effectively or, or what the patterns you've seen that your clients have done that have done this effectively? And I'm talking any trend yes. in business. Yes, yes. Well, and actually the trend is your friend, right? So uh, what I would say to that is businesses evolve. Uh, and so you don't have to necessarily get ready, ready to begin. I think about, I mean, 
I was fortunate to actually have talked to some early Bitcoin people, right? And I remember some of the Bitcoin stuff that came across my desk years ago and, and thinking, okay, that's a possibility as well. I see a lot of things that come across my, my desk. Not all of them, all, not all of them take hold. Uh, one thing I do know for sure is that things will evolve. So even if you're t- thinking about taking a, a, a swing at something, you ease into it, right? You don't put everything all in at once. You, you, you ease into it. You might buy in, uh, in stages. So that's the same thing with business. Uh, with a business, the one thing I can tell you with certainty and for a uh, a lot of the startups I've worked with, for a lot of the businesses I've worked with, they evolve. So someone comes into my office and they have, let's we'll go back to a mouse trap. So they have an idea for a certain type of a fixed mounted wood trap is what they decide they're going to build and what their business will be. Well, it turns out as business evolves, they realize they need to have a mobile mouse trap, right? Their business will evolve. If they're doing things the right way, they will be mobile enough to evolve with that. And that's the one thing I can see. There is constant change and you need to be able to adapt to it in order to stay ahead of the competition. Dude, that was an amazing answer to a poorly asked question. Thank you, JP. <laughs> We're in this together, my friend. We're in this together. I love you for that. Hey, um, as we as we kind of wind down together, I know you have uh, an amazing book that came out uh, fairly recently, The Millionaire's Lawyer. Um, so, of course, we're talking about stories um, from The Millionaire's Lawyer. But um, you, yeah, the, I mean, the book's amazing. You guys got to check it out. Um, where can they get a copy of the book and find out more about it? And I think you have a, a pretty special gift offer you want to do for the audience. So feel free to, I want you to plug the book, man. And where can we follow you and get more of you? Oh, Matt, thanks so much for the opportunity. I appreciate that as well. And for your audience as well. I'd love to offer more of what we discussed here. Uh, A free copy of the book is available at jpmacavoy.com to your listeners. I'll spell that jpmcavoy.com. So jpmacavoy.com. Feel free to go get a copy of the book there. In it, I describe some of the principles that we've discussed here and some of the ways that I've worked with entrepreneurs and some of the lessons I've learned along the way to help them grow their businesses. And hopefully it can apply to anybody listening here that's thinking about doing the same thing for their own business. Awesome. So that's jpmacavoy.com. Hey, if you're listening to this while you're in the car, make sure again, um, you're, you get the show Driven Entrepreneur on demand. You can get it at mattbrawningpodcast.com and you can pick it up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. There's 250 plus back episodes, no paywall, totally free. And if you miss the show when it's live uh, on air, you can always pick it up on demand, you know, that week as well. So I definitely want to connect with you there in the podcast. I will put in the show notes, JP's website, all the great social, but definitely follow JP McAvoy. And hey, make sure you check out the Millionaire's Lawyer podcast. If you love this podcast, you're going to love JP. You can see how we're getting along just throughout this time together. Um, I've known him for a good couple of years through speaking and conferences. Uh, and I'm so excited that he uh, that he launched the show because, well, I know you got stories and you have some great guests on there as well. JP, final thoughts. Uh, if you were to put a bumper sticker of something you want people to remember in business that is going to save their life, put you on the spot, what would you say? Oh, good. A bumper sticker for sa- for saving their life? Saving their life in their business. Uh, for the, yeah, saving their life in their business, I would say, make sure you do it. Or, you know, instead of, I don't want to trade on the, on the, on the, uh, on the, uh, Nike, just do it. No trademarks. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> but it's, it's the theme. Like, so many people say, I'm going to do this and I wanted to do this and I, and I really need to do this. I say, make sure you do it. Like if, if, if it's in your mind that it's something that ought to be done for the business, make sure you go and do it. So my bumper sticker, it's probably not as flashy as Nike's, but it's make sure you do it. Love it. JP, thanks for the time. I appreciate you carving out of your busy schedule for us. And I'll uh, talk to you soon. Matt, thanks so much for having me on. I look forward to the next time.
All right, guys, that's the show for this week. Hey, thanks for listening to The Driven Entrepreneur. Remember, follow me on social at Matt Browning, and I always put up fun posts so you can see the family up there, um, some inspiring quotes, and then we'll show some snippets of the podcast as well. Uh, so excited to talk to you on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube. It's all at Matt Browning, B-R-A-U-N-I-N-G. Follow The Driven Entrepreneur. Make sure you subscribe on demand so you can get every back episode and new episodes as well in case you miss it on the live uh, radio show. That's it for this week. Make sure you stay driven. And as JP McAvoy, the millionaire's lawyer says, make sure you do it. I'll see you next week. Thanks.